Well, all right. Those are kind of fun questions. Uh, I talked about I, pr I prefer summer during the winter, so I'd rather hibernate during the winter. I don't know about you, but that would be me. Well, as John said, we're continuing our question series, Your Questions, His Answers, and we are going to be talking about some of what culture says, some what uh, authors, different authors of different books or articles say, blogs, but mainly we're going to be focusing on his answers. What does God say in Scripture? So you're going to hear me quote a few different authors or talk a little bit about culture, but I'm going to be referring back to the Scripture many, many times each week and especially today as we take a look at heaven and hell. And we're going to be tackling some tough topics, and I think, you know, what else is church for? If we're not going to be tackling some, some important things, um, what are we doing? We should be talking about the important things of life and the life after. And so we're going to be doing that this morning. Well, there's a lot of curiosity and culture right now about heaven and hell. There's books, a lot of books, about people experiencing heaven after a near-death experience. Many of those are bestsellers. Some Christians, even Christians, are promoting a kind of universalism that says all or almost all people go to heaven. And others believe that life just ends at death. So why should we believe that heaven and hell exist? And so we're going to go ahead and dive right into the scripture and see what God says about that through Jesus' words in the gospel of John. And so today's scripture, the first passage, is from uh, John chapter 3, famous passage, verses 16 through 21. John 3, 16 through 21. And as you're getting your Bibles, welcome to the high school students. Glad you guys are here. So thanks for coming down. This is God's word. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone, does, everyone who does evil hates the light, and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. We're also going to look at John chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn over to that page. Uh, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. John 14, 1 through 6. Again, Jesus' words in a conversation uh, with Thomas. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray. Most loving God, we give you thanks that you lead us and guide us through your word, that we can ask you questions, 
God, even in our times, we can have doubts uh, in our lives. And so, God, we ask that you help to answer our questions, even this morning, through this scripture, and that you would move our hearts closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, some of the notes I'm going to be using this morning, uh, not a lot of them, but some are printed in your bulletin, and they'll be up on, here on the screens as well. We're going to jump right in to say that Jesus spoke, in the, words, in the words we just read in John, Jesus spoke of the reality of heaven and hell together there in John three sixteen through 21. So we often read John 16, um, maybe the most famous verse in the Bible, and it's good news. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. A couple of things there. It says, for God so loved the whole world. God loved all of us. God loved all of his children made in his image. But we also need to read the whole story. In verse 15, uh, one verse back, everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And then again in verse 16, whoever believes in him will receive eternal life. Then in verse 18, we read this. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. What does this mean? It means that even though God loves the world, there are still those in the world who choose not to believe in him and therefore do not have life through him. Let's look at John 14 as well. In verses 1 through 3, then we just read, it says this. I'll read it again. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. It's Jesus' words. He's speaking. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. Um, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, uh, that you, may be, you also may be where I am. So Jesus has good news. There really is a heaven. He's telling us about it. There's a lot of rooms. There's places. There's a place for you if you believe in me. And then Thomas asked a question, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And I think, first of all, this is a great example because here's someone walking, you know, day by day with Jesus, Thomas, and even he has a question, an important question, a big question. How do we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way. It's very clear, but it's also clear, Jesus says, in this place and other places in the New Testament confirms this, there's no other way that is revealed to us in Scripture. We know people in our culture oftentimes criticize Christians, sometimes rightly. Sometimes we have things we can be criticized about. They criticize Christians for being exclusive. But I know that we can, and I have seen you all do this, be inclusive in the way that we treat each other, in the way that we treat uh, people that we don't know, in the way that we love others, in the way that we do ministry. We are inclusive, showing God's love and inviting others to be a part of that. But it is true that the world's major religions are exclusive on some, port, on some points. Now, it's true that um, all religions have some truth in them. And in fact, uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, there are even some of the same truths and some of the same personalities in those three major world religions. But there are major 
differences as well. For Christians, these differences in our belief and in our faith ultimately center around who is Jesus and what is the way of salvation or the way to heaven. Luke says, the gospel writer Luke says, when he's writing Acts 4, he says, there is no other name under heaven except the name of Jesus by which we must be saved. There is no other name by which we must be saved but the name of Jesus. Max Max Lucado, a Christian author, a lot of us know, he wrote a book called 316, Stories of Hope. And in it, he talked about the odd nature of a belief that all roads lead to heaven. He gave this story. He says, can all roads lead to heaven? All approaches to God be correct? How can all religions lead to God when they're so different? So we don't tolerate such logic in other matters. We don't pretend that all roads lead to London or all ships sail to Australia or all flights lead to Rome. Imagine your response to a travel agent who proclaims that they do. You tell him you need a flight to Rome. So he looks at his screen and he says, well, there's a flight to Sydney, Australia at 6 a.m. Does it go to Rome, you ask? No, but it offers great food and movies. But I need to go to Rome, you say. Well, he says, let me suggest Southwest Airlines. Does Southwest Airlines fly to Rome? No, but they win awards for on-time arrivals. You're getting frustrated, so you say, I need one airline to carry me to one place, to Rome. The agent um, appears offended, sir, All flights go to Rome, but you know better. Different flights have different destinations, and it's not a thick-headed conclusion, but an honest one. Every flight does not go to Rome, and every path does not lead to God or heaven. When we look at all the major world religions, they can't all be right and cannot logically end in the same place. Many of their beliefs are in conflict with each other. So we as Christians believe in the Bible as God's true word that we talked about last week when he says the only true way to heaven is through Christ alone. So we understand that the Bible teaches the reality of heaven and hell and not just in this passage in John but in a lot of different places especially throughout the New Testament. In Matthew 25, Mark 9 and Revelations, the last three chapters in Revelations speak a lot about heaven and hell. In Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46, and I wish we had more time to go into this because it's a great parable, but Jesus used a parable of sheep and goats to say that some will be saved and some will not. In Mark 9, Jesus speaks of the reality of hell, and it would be hard to believe in hell except for the fact that Jesus speaks of it often, and he is the one we follow. In Mark 9, He says, hell is a place where fire never goes out in verse 44. And then verse 48, um, there, the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. The Bible teaches that heaven and hell are real and that both are eternal. Now, Revelation teaches of life after this life as well. And I know that the book of Revelation is hard to understand. I've read it many times myself. I find it hard to understand. But in my first year of seminary, I had a New Testament professor named Russell Spittler. Now, um, Dr. Spittler often wore a, kind of a tweed jacket. He had his hair combed straight back. He looked like a seminary professor should look. And in this really large lecture hall, very early in the course, one of the students 
raised his hand during a time for questions and said, Dr. Spittler, can you tell us what does the book of Revelation mean? This is a really simple question. So Dr. Spittler stood there and he said, well, in the end, God wins. And if you were with God, you win too. Now let's move on. And he kind of just, he wanted to cover other things in the New Testament, so that's all he said about Revelation. But when we do look at Revelation, especially, and if you look at the very last three chapters of our Bible, you look at the last three chapters of our Bible, chapters 20, 21, and 22 in the Revelation, it says these things, and I'm summarizing very briefly. Hell looks like this. The dead are judged. Death and Hades give up their dead that were in them to be judged. And death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. And those judged go with them into that lake of fire. It's very sobering stuff. Now, we know that a lot of things in Revelation may be symbolic. Others may be literal. But even reading this, it's sobering stuff. But in the very next chapter, it talks about heaven. Heaven looks like this. Heaven is a holy city. The city has streets of gold, foundations made of precious stones. No sun or moon is needed because God is the light that is provided, God himself. In heaven, there's no more death. There's no more mourning. There's no more crying. And there's no more pain. Those are, those are good things. It says the thirsty will drink. It says that God is making everything new in heaven. It even says there will be healing of the nations in heaven. And that people, people like us, when we go there, we will see God face to face. And there, too, it will not be boring. There will be activity for us. It says in the very last chapter of Revelation that God's servants, us, that we will serve him. There will be activity. There will be things for us to do in heaven. So the Bible teaches that heaven and hell are real and eternal. Well, despite what the Bible says, we still know in our culture, maybe in our neighborhoods, oftentimes in our colleges, different things that you read or I read online, there's a lot of different views about what happens after we die. A lot of different views about what happens after we die. Here are three of the main views, maybe kind of summarizing a little bit. First is the Christian view, which we've talked about for the last few minutes, that Jesus promises that for those who have faith in him, our sins are forgiven. We can have abundant life here on earth, and an eternal life in heaven once this life ends for those who have faith in him. So that's the first view. A second view is universalism. This is a belief that all people go to heaven. And it kind of asks the question, how could a loving God send anyone to hell? Well, in his book, and this is a book I used quite a bit this week in doing some research called Six Dangerous Questions. It was a book about 10 years ago or so that Several of us studied here at ZPC. It's by an author named Paul Borthwick. In his book, Six Dangerous Questions, Paul Borthwick says, while the idea of universalism has romantic and emotional appeal, there is very little biblical support for that view. Christian author C.S. Lewis, most of us know C.S. Lewis, said this, we would do well to confront people with the reality that they can choose to follow Jesus and they can say to God, thy will be done. We can say that to God, thy will be done. Or people can choose to reject Jesus, who as the judge will say to them, thy will be done. 
releasing them to their destination of choice, the fires of hell. A third view about what happens to us after death. So we have the Christian view, a universalist view. A third view is annihilation or annihilationism. Some people believe that when life ends, that we just cease to be, that death is the end. Others believe that persons are assigned to hell, but because hell is fiery, that they are literally or metaphorically burned, and so they, they are ended immediately as well. This is a view of annihilation. However, throughout Scripture, life after death, and we've read several of these passages in the last few minutes, life after death is described as unending or eternal, even by Jesus in the Gospels. It's told to us again and again that we have a choice to believe in Jesus or not. And so it's not God condemning us to hell, but it's us choosing whether to follow Jesus or to reject uh, him. So Christians wonder, and a lot of people wonder, is God unfair or unkind or unloving to allow people to go to hell? Well, let's look briefly at three characteristics of God. Love, justice, and grace. Love, justice, and grace. God is a God of love. And I think this makes great sense when we really think about it. Because God is loving, because God is loving, he will not coerce, coerce or force people to love him back. Christian author and apologist Norman Geisler, who writes a lot about topics like this, says, those who do not wish to love God must be allowed in his love to not love God. So people who choose not to love God are allowed to not love him. They're allowed that freedom. God doesn't force or coerce people to love him back. Also, we believe God is just. And God's ultimate judgment comes because sin deserves a response. We don't sing a hymn when we sing this hymn. Uh, we don't sing a hymn called, Nice, Nice, Nice is the Lord God Almighty. We sing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. And that's a quote from Revelation. God is holy. Sometimes we minimize this. God is holy. God is perfect. God is without sin. And we as human beings who are allowed choices since the time of Adam, we as human beings, we are human, we are imperfect, and we are sinful. The Bible says no one is righteous, not even one. And if we take a look at ourselves, we know that to be true. We know we make mistakes. We know we are sinners. And sin deserves a response. So God, being just, needs to have a payment for sin. And those who sin and reject God cannot be forced to be saved, but are lost. So God is loving and God is just, but God is also full of grace. And I think here's where the good news comes in. And all this is good news, but here's where the good news comes in. Jesus' grace offers hope and life. Another story from the scripture from Luke 23 that you've probably heard often. When Jesus hangs on the cross, there's two criminals by him, and one of the criminals next to him um, they're talking back and forth, and he says to the other criminal, we are punished justly, 
for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, speaking of Jesus, has done nothing wrong. And he says to Jesus, this criminal on the cross about today, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answers him, truly, I tell you, today, today you will be with me in paradise. So there is hope. God is loving, God is just, and God gives grace. There is hope even for the criminal on the cross. There is hope for those of us who have done so much wrong that we feel we don't have hope. We can still turn to God again. There is hope for those even at the end of their lives, like this criminal on the cross. And there is hope, as Jesus told the criminal, that you don't have to wait to go to heaven when you die. You can be with Jesus, with God, face to face, even today, even on that day when you die. So God is a God of justice, love, and grace who brings the hope of heaven. He brings good news through Jesus. So if there is a heaven and a, he- and a hell, what are we to do about it? So it's good, I think it's good and healthy to talk about it, to discuss it, to look at a lot of different passages in the scriptures, but what are we to do about it? Well, in his book, again, Six Dangerous Questions, which a book I would recommend to you by Paul Borthwick, he makes these points. And these points are in bullet point format on the screens, and they're going to be in your bulletin as well. If heaven is real, I can do these things. I can go there through Jesus. I can detach from the stuff of this world. I can endure hardship, and I can sacrifice and have courage. First, we can go to heaven through Jesus. We've talked about this. Today's passage, John 14, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. We can go to heaven with belief, with faith in Jesus. Second, we can detach from the stuff of this world. We don't need to put our hope in the things of this world, but in the hope that God gives an abundant life um, here on earth. God gives good things here on life. When we live with him, it's a better life than we could have any, any way else. And there's a better life after this one in heaven. So we can detach somewhat from the things of this world. Third, we can endure hardship. We can run the race marked for us because God is with us. That We can know that despite the troubles that we have here, uh, the pain that we have here, the experience of loss, all the things that go wrong, we can hope and believe that there's a better life waiting for us and we can endure hardship knowing that this life is not all there is. Fourth, we can sacrifice and have courage. We can be willing to go on that short-term mission trip like our church goes on and some of our high school students went on. to Places like Mexico or Romania or Spain or Egypt, where I know ZPCers have been to all those countries in the last year or year and a half. Sometimes we think, you know, those trips, those are really fun. Those are nice. Those are good. There's always some risk even when you take a one-week mission trip to an international country, and even when then you're stepping out and telling others about the love of Jesus, we can sacrifice and have courage. We can support our missionaries who are, in support, who are serving in places, Brazil, Mongolia, Indonesia, where they're living with great sacrifice and great courage to tell others about the hope of heaven through Jesus. We can encourage them and support them. Furthermore, if hell is real, 
I can do these things. I can choose separation from God. I can speak of Jesus in my words and actions. I can pray more passionately, and I can live with more urgency. First, as we said, God does not force us to love him in the way that he first loved us. Therefore, it still is our choice to be separated from God by choosing not to love God back or choosing not to accept what God has given to us through Jesus. Second, we can speak of Jesus in our words and actions. If hell exists, we are called to be more bold in how we tell others about Jesus. And I know for me, sometimes I'm not bold enough. Sometimes I will think, well, what's this person going to think of me? Um, Are they going to be offended? Um, Am I going to hurt our friendship? But I need to be called to be more bold as well. And when the opportunity arises to tell others plainly and with a lot of hope about Jesus in my words and actions. Third, we can pray. And And you might say, you know, I'm intimidated to talk about Jesus. That's hard. We can pray. Start praying specifically for that person. Maybe your family member, a sister or a brother, a parent, a child, a cousin who doesn't know Jesus. How about a coworker, one of your neighbors, someone who doesn't know Jesus or they're unchurched and so you don't know where they stand with God. Start praying for that person and pray that if you are to play a part in telling them or showing them about Jesus, that God will show you through his Holy Spirit when you are to play that part. And finally, to live with more urgency. And I'm glad to say that many of our ministries here at ZPC are designed to help those in need to hear the good news about Jesus. Ministries like Great Banquet and Awakening Weekends, where almost all the time when someone at the end of a weekend stands up here in this room on this platform and says, this was the first time I asked Jesus into my life. He's now my Lord and Savior. That's one of the purposes of those weekends. How about mission trips? Are we send out um, men and women to serve in prison through Kairos Prison Ministry? Part of the goal of those ministries is to tell others about how Jesus, about who Jesus is and the life that he has for us. What about even our partnership with Shepherd Community Center? It's to partner with them so they can tell the good news to those who are living in some of the most dire circumstances in our city, now on the Near East Side of Indianapolis. Another of those ministries is the food pantry. And you might say, well, their job is to give out food. But I'll tell you, every Friday here at noon, and actually just before noon, around 1145, if anyone comes to the food pantry, and a lot of people do every Friday, they hear a devotional based on scripture, and they're asked if they have prayer requests, and they're prayed for by name. And they can even choose then to step aside outside in the hallway and have someone maybe lay a hand on their shoulder and pray for them. So just about two weeks ago, um, guests or clients at the food pantry were given a small half sheet piece of paper and it said, what does the food pantry mean to you? We're trying to understand so we can service better. And I wasn't part of this, but I got to read some of the responses. There were 17 clients or guests that took the time to answer and the answers are really heartwarming. Here's one response. Our family relies on the food. It is a blessing that the church is here for God's people, and quotes Jesus in saying, the poor will always be with you. What a wonderful opportunity to show the unchurched world the grace of God and his bride, end of quote. So God calls us to believe in his word, to believe in the the hope of heaven, 
as this person did and, and see our ministries as opportunities um, to reach others. And I'm convicted, even by doing some research and study this week, to be more a part of that in my own life, to look for opportunities where I might be a part of that and be more bold. Let's pray for those in our lives who don't believe, and let's live with more courage and urgency to join God to play our parts where he calls us to be in his message of good news. There may be someone here today who's sitting here and saying, you know, I'm not sure um, where I stand with God. And the opportunity to look at some of the scripture and to think about heaven and hell makes you think, you know, I'm not sure if I'm there yet with God. And I'm not sure if I would go to heaven if I were to die today. And so if you're in that part, I'd love for you to um, pray with me now as I close in prayer um, and think about that. And if there's someone in your life that you know that doesn't know God, doesn't have a relationship, you can be picturing them now and praying for them now as we pray. Let us pray. Most loving God, we give you thanks for this day, um, another beautiful day to be alive and to have life with you. God, we've read your scripture today. We've looked at somewhat, uh, what some authors say about the reality of heaven and hell. Lord, if we are to believe that your word is true, then heaven and hell are real. And God, we want to we want to avoid hell. We want to go to heaven with you. And so, God, if there's someone here this morning who doesn't know you or they're not sure, or God, if there is someone, all of us here probably know someone who doesn't know you, they don't go to church, and we're not sure where they stand. And so, God, we want to have their faces, um, the pictures of their faces in our minds right now and pray for them. But, God, if there's someone here in our midst this morning who's not sure, I will ask them to pray these words silently as I pray them aloud. Most loving God, I I realize that I am a sinner. I realize that I make mistakes and because of what I read in the Bible, that my sin causes separation from you. And God, I want someday to experience you face to face to be in heaven with you. And so God, now I confess my sin to you. I ask you for forgiveness. And I tell you that I believe in Jesus, that he is the son of God. And I ask him to be the savior of my life and to be my Lord and leader. Thank you, God, for hearing that prayer. And God, for all of us, we ask now that you would give us courage um, to be more bold. And God, I confess that I have not been as bold as I could be or should be in many situations in my life. So God, if an opportunity arises, we see the chance to tell someone or to show someone the good news of Jesus this week. Help us to take that opportunity to step into it in faith and to reach out with your love. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.